Good morning, church family. Let's try it one more time. Good morning, church family. There we go. Love to hear your bright and shining voices and see your beautiful faces. And I hope you know that I am genuinely glad that you're here. And I don't just mean that. Maybe you've come in here to this place and maybe you're worn out and you just considered instead of just pressing the snooze button of turning your alarm off and just foregoing being here, maybe you're going through some difficult circumstances that seem inescapable and you might be questioning where God is in the midst of it all. Maybe you're here because it's just what you're supposed to do, or maybe someone forced you to be here, junior highers, high schoolers, maybe that's you. Maybe you've heard about all that God has done through times past and through the spiritual awakenings that are currently happening across our country, and maybe you're skeptical of the whole Jesus thing. Regardless of why or how you have showed up here, your creator loves you, he delights in you, and he deeply desires to meet you this morning right where you're at. So if you need rest this morning, what a better place to rest than the presence of Jesus. So I won't call you out if you accidentally take a nap. I gave you permission. If you need to pray, I give you permission to ignore my sermon and to spend time communing with God because moments with him are better than any moment of hearing my voice. And may you cast your cares upon the one who cares for you. And for the rest of us, God has given us this book as a gift to correct, instruct, and to encourage us. And let us dive deep into the depths of this book and receive what God yearns for us to see, to hear, and to do. So once again, let's pray. God, this space is yours. Would you wreck any agenda that I might have for yours? Would we have ears to hear and eyes to see what your spirit has for us this morning? And I pray, God, that in this space, we would leave here knowing that we have encountered you, almighty God, the one who loves and cares for us, the one who dances over us with gladness. Would we know and taste and see that you are God? We pray these things in your sweet and precious name. Amen. So we have been in a series in the book of Acts. For those that might not know what the book of Acts is, Acts is the recording of the beginning of the church after Jesus has resurrected. And in chapter one, we talked about how these were Jesus's final instructions that we would receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on us to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. Then we get into chapter 2, and the disciples of Jesus are upstairs gathering together on Pentecost and praying when Holy Spirit falls on those in that room, and what seemed to be a nice little revival that happened in that room made its way into the streets, and Peter, through his bold explanation of these events through the book of Joel and through the psalmist, calls everyone to repent and be baptized, and 3,000 were saved that day. And then last week, we looked at chapter 3, where Peter and John were going to their regularly scheduled time of prayer when a lame man asked them for money. 
And more than throwing a few coins in his direction, Peter, who was empowered by Holy Spirit, boldly declared that in the name of Jesus of Nazareth to get up and walk. And he was healed. The crowds were amazed. And once again, Peter explains everything that happened, gives Old Testament references, and gives another call to repent. And for all who would to experience seasons of refreshment. Deep breath. We're in chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, um, let's go to Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 5. If it's a digital Bible, there's forgiveness. If not, there's a paper book in front of you. If you don't have access to a Bible, we are in Acts chapter 4. For our sake, we're going to jump into verse 5. Um, but before we do, just to give excuse me, some brief context. So the first four verses of chapter 4 are after Peter has already declared all of the goodness and why the miracle happened, and it was through the name of Jesus, but yet some of the religious leaders of the time weren't really keen to that, took Peter and John, took them into custody overnight, and the story that we pick up with in verse 5 is the next morning, and Peter and John are on trial. So verse 5, and we'll stop in verse 7 for now. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. After they, they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them. By what power or in what name have you done this? First thing to note is these specific men here, Annas, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, these were men who were all part of Jesus' trial in his last day before his crucifixion. Tuck that one away. We'll get back to that little nugget here in a few minutes. And next, it's interesting the question that they ask. By what power or in what name have you done this? Because as the religious leaders, or as we would call the guardrails of the Jewish faith, they wanted to ensure that these men were doing things in accordance to their understanding and their proper Jewish ethic. They wanted to make sure that what miracle happened and the movement that's happening was within their understanding of what their relationship with God should look like. And so this isn't just... A random question. This is actually, for their sake, a really good question to ask. By what power or in what name have you done this? Let's break down quickly the two words here that are key for us to understand, and that's power and name. So first, power. This word power in the original Greek language is the word dunamis, which, if that sounds familiar, that's where we get the word dynamite. It's also what Jesus used in Acts 1.8 when he said that you will receive dunamis. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. When you think of dynamite, it's not just a little spark of a little flame, but dynamite is a huge explosion. And that we, in Acts 1.8, as followers of Jesus, we are to receive dynamite power, not if, but when Holy Spirit comes on you to be witnesses. And here they're asking, by what dynamite power have you done this? The elders and rulers wanted to get at the root of the power by which they were accomplishing this miracle. Which actually leads to our next word, by what name? Because in order to get to the access to the power, they need to know the name by which the power came. Because if they knew the name, 
they would locate the source of the miracle. Also put a different way, the name by which one would attribute their actions to is a direct reflection of that name. For our example, your last name, whether you like it or not, carries a level of expectation to live up to that family name or reputation or for some to break free of that. If you're an athlete, you can attribute your successes on the field of play oftentimes to a coach or a mentor. I know now professional sports are really different. We can sidebar about that after church. For those that might identify with a particular social movement or religion, and for many of us in this room, we would claim to be followers of Jesus. And by doing so, identifying with the religion of Christianity or by identifying with a different movement, by claiming that name, you are carrying the reputation, ethos, and expectations that are placed underneath that name. Which also means follower of Jesus. When we claim that powerful beautiful name of Jesus, as Sarah sang just a minute ago, that as we claim that name of Jesus, that there should be something recognizable about the way that you live. The name of Jesus demands for us to live a set-apart life from the ethos of the world around us. And so the religious leaders are asking, by what power or in what name have you done this let's look at peter's answer starting in verse 8 then peter was filled with the holy spirit and said to them rulers of the people and elders if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man by what means he was healed let it be known to all of you and to all the people of israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. So he very clearly declares that it is by the name of Jesus that this man was healed. First, it needs to be noted that in verse 8, it says that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. That the words that came out of Peter's mouth were not just out of some premeditative doctrinal statement. That Peter, in that moment, as he's facing opposition, is being filled with Holy Spirit. And the words that come out are words that are fueled by God himself. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Could you imagine just being in Peter's situation? Like over the past few weeks or months, Jesus, the guy that he's clinging to, is up in heaven now. He's ascended to the Father, and now God has trusted them to be witnesses. And Peter, so far, has been having a good few weeks, but now he's put on trial. And as he knows, the religious leaders who put Jesus on the cross are in front of him. Imagine what he's feeling as they ask this question. And yet, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And through the empowerment and leading of Holy Spirit, Peter boldly declares that it is by the power and the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that this man was healed, whom you crucified 
literally. Now we mentioned Peter being filled with the Holy Spirit and often even in our devotions we could read about being filled with the Holy Spirit and we can be like, oh yeah, that seems really neat. But then as we're gonna go through the book of Acts, you're going to see what happens when Holy Spirit fills somebody or a group of people. And you're like, what kind of, like, wouldn't it be great to? That seems awesome. Like, wouldn't it be great to be able to experience some of the miracles and what God has done throughout the book of Acts? And we ask ourselves, like, Peter's this ordinary dude, right? Since you didn't give an answer, Peter's an ordinary guy. Thank you, Sam. Peter's ordinary. Like, there wasn't anything super hyper-spiritual about this guy. He was faithful to the call that God had put on his life, and he was open and available to the movement of the Spirit, but we also have access to that. And how was Peter able to gain access to this type of miraculous power? Did he have access to a certain prayer ritual that maybe we don't have access to in order for him to get Jesus' name to be the key to unlocking sanctified superpowers, which is what we often look for? We see the gifts and the fruit of the Spirit as this sanctifying superpower so we can be our own superhero. That's a different sermon for a different day. Stay focused, Jordan. But how do we have access to that power? We understand the power of Holy Spirit. We read stories in Scripture about what Holy Spirit can and has done and what he promises to do in our lives. And yet often there can be this disconnect between what we, what we feel like should be life in Holy Spirit and then we have our actual lives where we see that, we say, that's really nice, but that's not my lot in life. So there's just something about the name of Jesus. When we believe in the name, that something changes. We previously mentioned Acts 1.8 as Jesus' parting words, but we also have another recording of Jesus' parting words in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. It's called the Great Commission. Let me read it for you. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the name of the Son and the name of the Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always. One more time. I am with you always to the end of the age. All authority has been given to who? Jesus. And under that authority, we are called to go to make disciples, to be his representatives here on earth. And we do so in the, did you catch that? In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit, as he goes with us. We don't do this mission alone. We have Holy Spirit dwelling within us, and Jesus promises that you will not be left as orphans or left alone, but that you will have the presence of God as you go with you always. And that that presence that is with you is not inferior, but the presence that is dwelling within you is the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. 
The same spirit that promises dunamis power for us to have everything in this life for good things and for godliness. This is not just some tame little kitty cat that we pull out occasionally. Holy Spirit is filled with power. And Holy Spirit is also described as comforter, counselor, advocate. He has the power for that too. Here's just a question. Do you know why we pray in Jesus' name at the end of a prayer? And it's not because it's just sound, sounding like a really good religious way to close out a prayer that we said, you know what, why don't we just pray in Jesus' name? That seems like a good trick to try to get God to pay attention to our prayers. We pray in Jesus' name because as we do, we invoke the authority by which the name of Jesus brings. John 16, 24, Jesus says, Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be complete. We pray in the name of Jesus because we recognize his authority over us, that we are clothed in his righteousness. And as we do, and as we boldly approach the throne with confidence, knowing that we will receive grace and mercy in our time of need, we do so under the name of Jesus. Because as we approach the throne, we don't do so with our own feeble works and our useless deeds, but we come as a son or a daughter under the name of Jesus. And as we do, we have the authority of Christ to approach the throne for what we need. And so don't you dare pray. And at the end, when you merely say in Jesus' name, amen, pray with some unction in Jesus' name. The name that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. That name that defeated the work of the enemy. That name is not just a mere name tag. That name has power and authority. So child of God, as you pray, pray in the boldness and the authority and the power of Jesus' name. Which to me seems like now prayer will begin to have life. And I will actually want to pray to understand that our words as we cry out to God are not falling on deaf ears. That our prayers are not just a mere hope that God might answer, but that we, clothed in his righteousness, boldly approaching the throne of God through Holy Spirit, under the authority of Christ, can open ourselves up before God and pray the desires of our hearts and know that God hears and he sees you and he loves you. And that Holy Spirit wants you to pray these things in Jesus' name. I didn't have enough time to mention all the scriptures, but you understand how many times Jesus told his disciples, ask and you will receive, knock and the door will be open. We sometimes take that as like, yeah, well, and then we try to doctrinally explain away that Jesus is giving us an invitation to lay bare before him the desires of our hearts. We're called to approach the throne with boldness. Not in a guarantee that God is going to give you everything. Because I need to make this abundantly clear. We do live under the authority of Jesus' name and through the empowerment of Holy Spirit. But that's not a holy formula that equals miracles breaking out whenever we snap our fingers. We have enough human existence to know that that's not the case. But 
what I'm hopefully making clear is that we have a mandate to lay ourselves down before God, empty ourselves, yielding our whole selves to God and trusting that the work of the Holy Spirit is good enough to transform our hearts, to lead us in the way everlasting and to be ambassadors of the here and not yet kingdom of God. We're called to ask under the authority of Jesus And that is exactly the authority that Peter is operating under. An ordinary man, but extraordinarily filled with, yielded to, and entrusting God. If you still have your scriptures open, let's look at verse 12. So this is Peter's last declaration to this group of the Jewish leadership who had crucified Jesus not many months earlier. Peter boldly declares, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no, under, no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Check what the name of Jesus does. It is in the name and the work of Jesus that salvation is found. Salvation, the Greek word literally meaning deliverance. Deliverance from the penalty of our sins, but deliverance into right relationship with our creator. That that deliverance and salvation is found in no other name, no other group, no other movement. It's not found in a denomination. It's not found in a local church. It's not found in a great pastor or preacher or leader. It's not found in a social movement. But a deliverance and a salvation is found in the name of Jesus. Which might just seem for us like, oh yeah, I have that on the coffee mug that I like drank my like, coffee from this morning. But for the religious leaders at this time to hear this would have been jaw-dropping. Because don't you know that there's this certain code of conduct that you must live by in order to like, get right standing with God? Did Peter not understand all the, all the rituals and all of the guidelines and the commandments that they were given in order to have right standing with God? Was he not aware? but by the name of Jesus and by his life and death, burial, resurrection. And y'all, he's coming back. Through that name, we find salvation. And so for the rest of our time, we're gonna do a deep dive into verse 13. So if you still have your Bibles open, which I hope you do, let's look at verse 13. Peter's speech is over. And when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. So Peter gives his response to by what power, what name has he done this miracle, meaning healing this raised man or this lame man after he gives that answer and boldly declaring in the name of Jesus' salvation, this is the response of those religious leaders. And let's break it down 
word by word. The first word to take note of is they observed their boldness. This word boldness in the Greek means free and fearless confidence. Free and fearless confidence. And this Greek word does not just imply some internal state of the soul. It implies action. Boldness is not passive. And what Peter and John here display through their boldness is a willing to face the religious leaders of the day to boldly declare the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, him as Messiah, Savior, and Lord. And for them to even act out in boldness and to step out in faith when they declared healing in the name of Jesus to this lay man and have boldness to reach out their hand in that moment, not fully knowing that if the guy was going to like actually be able to walk, but in faith by power of Holy Spirit and through boldness in him, they reached down and in faith lifted him up. Boldness. A free and fearless confidence. And we, church family, are likewise called to be bold, not to be passive observers. We are called to take faith-filled under the authority of Jesus' risks. We are called to live out our faith. The verse goes on after they observed the boldness and they realized that they were uneducated and untrained Men, does this make any of us feel a little more comfort? Knowing that God doesn't only call or use the educated and the trained. Because I've already mentioned a lot of Greek and I feel like you guys want an undergrad in Greek, let's get started on that education. First, uneducated, the Greek word meaning illiterate or unlearned. Or in other words, parents, you can close your young kids' ears, stupid. The second word, untrained, is the same Greek word that we get another unkind term. Parents, get your hands ready. Second word literally means idiot. So they are calling these men stupid and idiotic. Way to go, Jewish leaders. You're using really kind and like educated words. But to be honest... Are we allowed to be honest? They're kind of right. Do you know what these guys did by trade? Who, what did Peter and John do by trade? Were they pastors? They were fishermen. They were out all day at sea, smelling like fish. I don't know if you've ever smelled fish. Y'all, it's gross. It's so gross. And for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, like, just go to Lake Vermilion and just smell for an hour. Maybe that's a bad case study, because Lake Vermilion's just nasty anyways. God bless our county. But socially, they were outcasts. They weren't the first round pick for the local rabbis to choose as the religious elite. They were overlooked because they were mere fishermen. And let me say this, please hear this, out of deep, deep love for each and every one of you. 
the world thinks that we as followers of Jesus are also stupid and idiotic. I say that in love. Just to give some cultural commentary, we live in a world that sees Christianity as narrow-minded when the world around us is advocating for a smorgasbord form of spirituality. Take what we like from this religion and that religion and that social movement and tiny bits of this thing and that thing, and we come together and we create this complex spirituality where we just choose whatever we feel like is comfortable, but yet we're making a God in our own image. And the world sees us as followers of Jesus when we claim the name of Jesus and say that he is the way, the truth, and the life. We are seen as idiotic. We're seen as ignorant. We're seen as exclusive. But we know that we have found the way, the truth, and the life. And we know the power of the name of Jesus. But the world does not see it that way. So if you begin to be bold for your faith, Expect nothing less for the world than to see you as stupid and as an idiot. Just to be blunt, because I love you. Also, this verse is not to say that formal education is bad. So if you have a bunch of letters before or after your name, well done. Hopefully you pay off your college debt soon. But to be educated, to be trained is not bad. It doesn't disqualify you from the faith. And even if you don't have all the letters, do deep Bible studies. Learn about deep doctrine of theology. Do search on church history. Do that. But what I am saying is this. You don't have to have 10,000 hours of formal training in order to boldly be used by Jesus. And even if the world sees you as an outcast or the world sees your occupation as something that you just need to go do your job and leave the whole faith thing aside, but that you can, in whatever you are doing, regardless of your training, regardless of any other outside circumstances, that you can be bold and be used in faith in Jesus to be a light to those around you. Let's keep going in the verse. So they saw they were uneducated and untrained men. Catch this. They were amazed. They were amazed. Why? They had recognized that they had been with Jesus. They had recognized that they had been with Jesus. Remember I told you to tuck this nugget in your front pocket. Let's bring it back out again. You remember who he's talking to, right? Peter and John are talking to the very people who put Jesus on the cross. They spent a lot of time with Jesus in his last days. They knew how Jesus carried himself. They knew the way that Jesus talked, the way that Jesus responded. They just knew about the character of Jesus. And when they had seen Peter and John, they recognized and saw reflections of the character and person of Jesus in Peter and John. Once again, out of love, let's go there. Can the same be said of us? That when the people that see us as stupid and as idiotic interact with us as we shine our light for Jesus in Vermilion County and beyond, 
can the same be said about us, that as they examine our lives, as they examine the way that we live, they examine the way that we interact with our mailman, the way that we interact with our coworkers, children, friends, our regular waiter at our favorite dining establishment, do they notice the marked difference in you? That set-apartness, where they notice that there's something unique about you that you are boldly living out a life that Jesus has called you to, which is radically different from the way of this world. Are we so marked by the presence of Jesus? And the passage continues on. Um, They weren't really happy. Peter and John answer in verse 19 and basically tell them that we're just going to obey God. We're not gonna guarantee obedience to you, but we have a God who's worth following and worth serving, and we're gonna go after him. And then afterwards, they, they rebuke him, tell him, like, y'all don't need to be doing your whole Jesus thing. Send him out. And then this is where we're gonna end, starting in verse 23. After they were released, they went to their own people and reported everything the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together to God and said, Master, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage and the people plot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel assembled together against holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name. Of your holy servant Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they were all assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. After they heard report of what Peter and John had endured, what they said, and what had happened, they gathered together and they prayed. They prayed for boldness in the face of adversity. They prayed that the name of Jesus would spread, that they would have boldness to be able to do the work that God had called them to do and that God would unleash healing and signs and wonders. And so this is exactly how we are going to close out this time together this morning. We're going to pray for boldness. We're going to pray for courage. We are going to pray that God, through Holy Spirit, would unleash through us. And that we might, which, hear me out, it's in the book, so I'm just going to read it. That we would pray that God would stretch out his hand for healing and signs and wonders in this place and in Vermilion County. Let's have permission to pray big prayers, pray bold prayers. And so what I would love for us to do, right where you're at, if you want to get into groups, that would be awesome. If you are hyper-introverted and that thought is giving you hyper-anxiety, you can pray by yourself. That's fine. But I just want to give a little bit of space for us to just pray. Pray for boldness. 
Pray for your coworker, pray for your classmate, pray for the waiter that you see regularly at your lunch reservation, which is probably coming up pretty soon. Pray for them. Pray that God would give you opportunity and boldness, that Holy Spirit would fill you and would give you the right words to say at the proper time. And who knows? Maybe verse 31 will be true, that as we pray, the place where they were assembled was shaken and everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit. Because if God has done it before, he can do it again. I'm gonna say it again. If God has done it before, he can do it again. Third time, because three is a magic number. If God has done it before, he can do it again. Filled with the Spirit, led in faith, Let's pray bold prayers. So I'm gonna pray, and then after I pray, I would invite you with whoever's around you or you individually to pray. We'll spend just a little bit of time doing that, and then Sarah and Katrina will lead us in two final songs of worship. God, we love you. We are grateful that you did not leave us as orphans, but that you promised us your presence and that your presence is one that is good and powerful. That your name has the power to heal. Your name has the, the power to call prodigals home. Your name has the power to set captives free. Your name has the power to unleash revival and awakening in our county and in our country and in our world. God, I pray that as we seek you under the authority of your name, God, I pray that your ear would be open to the cries of your children and that you would grant to us the desires of our hearts and that those desires would align with yours. And Holy Spirit, would you do a work that only you can do that can't be described by a clever church program or a carefully crafted word, but that it would only be defined by and empowered by your spirit. God, we love you. We're grateful for all that you have done and will do. We pray these things in your name. Amen.